a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 84 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the flux capacitor on a hyperdrive, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. Do hyperdrives have flux capacitors? They can travel in time now? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they're just flow walking. Although, I guess you can travel in time if you do it just right and do it in the, the, the Paul Kemp sort of way. So, yeah. Yeah, apparently. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions questions that have bothered you for a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on you ponder about star wars and so do we this episode we address your questions and ponders now consider this your spoiler warning beyonders and sentience of all ages because here we go that's right and let me start off with one it's not actually within our uh, our notes here because this is something that i was more kind of personally profoundly impacted by um got into an email conversation a little while ago uh, as while i was in the process of i'm trying to collect all these star wars home video things so i'm just making all kinds of contacts like you know well, where can we get access to this and that and that sort of thing and it wound up uh, through that conversation winding up in a conversation uh with a listener named josh and i learned as part of this conversation that josh and his daughter uh, Leah May. They have sort of a routine that's based in part around this show. They've been listening since the beginning. Uh, she's 10. And one of the things that they do is uh, on Saturday mornings, they get together. And when their mother goes off to work, um, they have breakfast together. They listen to the show, whatever the new episode happens to be of uh, Beyond the Films and whatnot, and kind of share in the fandom, the Star Wars fandom that way. And to me, that really kind of kind of hit me. I know it's it's it could be as as dry as someone say, well, this is what our routine is. But to me, that really kind of hits me because I'm somebody who, um, especially when it came to my dad, and I guess we can start this episode off on a deep note. Um, we really didn't have much of a relationship when I was young. Um, my dad, you know, there, there's the famous so-called butler temper. We just were not good people sometimes to be around when we got agitated. And my dad went through kind of a change. Later in his life, it was it was after I had moved in over there, uh, less to be near him than to be away from uh, a stepfather, actually, uh, at one point when he wasn't as nice a guy as he is now. Um, and just wound up in a situation where uh, sometime when I was in like late high school, early college, he went through sort of a religious change, religious conversion, religious revival, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I mean, 
he, he now is one of the guys I try to be like. Um, very nice, very giving, very outgoing, very spiritual guy, uh, and dedicated to both the family, the community, the, uh, his career as a veterinarian, everything. Just, you know, he's someone I look up to now. But when I was young, we really did not have that connection. And it kind of makes me sit back and, and think about how important it is to have those types of moments. And, you know, I, I guess when you don't have those, you don't think about them. And but hearing something like that to know that we get to be part of this week in week out of of sort of a father daughter type of experience to me really hit me in a profound way. It really kind of made me smile and feel very humbled that we get to be part of that because um, it's a precious thing. Even if even if not everybody necessarily realizes it, it's one of those things that you don't realize you're missing until years later when you're you know in my case you know you're in your thirties and you think you know. That might have been nice to have at the time. Lots of great times when I was little with my mom and lots of great times when I was older with my dad, just not that in my youth uh, mm. in his case. So to me, you know, that that we couldn't have been paid a higher compliment than to know yeah. that we are made part of that type of routine. So I wanted to to give a thank you to to Josh and Leah May because that just really I mean, it made my I mean, I'm still smiling about it. And it's days and days <laughs> later when we're recording this. I mean, this was one of those those rare emails that we get that just kind of has me sit back and smile and almost not know what to say, you know. Well, so. yeah. I, I mean, I, I have I, when you told me about that too, it, it it warmed my heart as well. I mean, my daughter is ten, and and I couldn't get her to sit through one of my own episodes and listen. I could barely get her to sit while I'm editing and listening to me. Uh, and there are moments where you know I'll go out and interact with other fans and come across different opinions of mine, and sometimes I'll feel like you know maybe I just need to shut up and just drop off the face of the fandom earth because sometimes I feel like I'm so out there, you know. And to find out that somebody actually listens to what we have to say that often, I that that's dude, that's beyond awesome, you know. That's that's beyond the films, man. But what you said about your dad, you know, that kind of resonates with me. My dad and me were big into scouts. Uh, right now, I'm into scouts with my son, and that's like a, a family pass along. Uh, that was the golden days when I was a little kid. Then when scouts ended, uh, my dad was getting into a different job. His stress levels kind of shot through the roof. We were looking at moving. We just moved down to Grants Pass. Uh, you know, he was he went from being a graveyard to a to a day schedule. So his his temperament was shorter. You know, we had the same thing. We we called it the Swiss temper. And it got to the point where my mom, uh, when I was a teenager, would force me and my dad every weekend to go and watch movies together because to, in her eyes, our relationship had fallen apart, that he just kind of let me do my own thing. And I got to the point where I didn't even want to do anything with my dad because he was just always yelling at me. And, you know, like there were there were things where my mom would get upset and worried because we, we grew up with no power out in the woods. And then we moved down to a bigger city, which felt like Portland, even though it wasn't. But it felt like that. So I'd go out and if I didn't check in, my mom thought, you know, he's dead in the gutter. And my dad, anytime my mom would freak out, it would just send him into a red rage. So as soon as I got home, it was you're going to get beat time, you know. So for us, you know, that was one of those things. But now after, you know, we've we had that relationship built up through my mom, you know, he, he's the same way where I, I try so hard to be like him. Uh, but there was a, a short period of time there where, you know, the life events had got so much that it really started to damage our relationship. And, and you know, it took that routine of going to the movies every weekend to help us build back up to a point, because really the only thing we ever had to relate was when we, I was younger, I would record Star Trek for him. And that was it. It was like we could talk about Star Trek. 
And then as we got older and I started getting into the Star Wars books, I was like, hey, you know, you always read these Star Trek books. Why don't you give a Star Wars book a try? And so now we have that, you know, like like just the other day we were sitting in the sauna at, at the club and we were talking about Crucible. And uh, he's now reading The Last Jedi and we we're talking about that. And it, it's really nice to be able to have those moments. So to be able to do that and, and have that moment for you guys, like to provide that is humbling. It's funny you mentioned that the, the, the one of the ways you related was was Trek. We had when my parents got divorced. We had a situation where we were sort of pushed into the visitation. Because like I said, it wasn't that he was just he was a bad guy. I mean, he was you know I, he probably was about you know very much the same guy that he is now. You know, the good guy. But he but you you were right. And did stress levels and stuff like that, like on your end, and just you know just you know you'd say good night and stuff. He'd get home late. You'd say good night. You'd go to bed. You just didn't have that connection there at the time. Um, when we started having these visitations after the divorce, which was not something that that me and my sister really felt comfortable with at first, because we didn't again we didn't really have that strong relationship with them, that did start to build things up quite a bit. And it's funny that you mentioned Star Trek because one of the ways that that our sort of of ways of looking at entertainment started to come together was that he happened to have taped some Star Trek: The Next Generation around the time of Best of Both Worlds, and I watched and started really getting into that. I mean, he wasn't super into it, but enough that uh, that gave us kind of that same thing. Uh, I don't know that it's. I don't think we can overestimate how important the little moments are. I mean, the one time I can remember my dad and I really doing anything before the divorce or or before a lot of the visitation was he and I just just the two guys because my mom and uh, sister were at something. Just the two guys went to go see the movie Field of Dreams and then went to eat at Mattingly's 23. And if you're, you're not from Indiana, you probably don't know what that is. Don Mattingly, the old player from the Yankees who was from my hometown, had a string of restaurants for a while. So you go with this, this baseball-themed, Mattingly-themed restaurant, which was huge for me at the time. Um, and, and I can still remember, I mean, to this day, I can't remember hardly anything visually from my childhood. You know, because, you know, you're very young and the memories don't quite build the same way as they do when you're an adult, you know, as your brain's still developing and all that stuff. But man, I can picture the dining room. I can picture standing there with my dad looking at the case of baseball cards. Um, you know, that stuff matters. So if you're a if you're a parent out there and you're you, you feel like those moments are missing, make the effort to make sure that they're there because the opportunity won't come again. It's great to see that um, that our audience out there is 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 taking advantage of that. Absolutely. They won't come back again. And that's something as a father, I'm constantly reminded of my son, you know, he'll, he'll come up, you don't play with me. And it tears me up, man. I mean, I, and I know where he's coming from because he's right. I don't play as much as I should with him. And I've told him why the reason why is he's a little selfish little kid when it comes to playing, he has to have all the clone troopers and I don't get any, <laughs> but I have to work at that. And that's something as a, as a father, you know, like I said, my daughter is 10 too right now. And you know, we do other little things, but working on those relationships is very important. And to be part of your guys's work in that regard and, and strengthening your bond, uh, that is very humbling and it warms my heart and it makes me want to go and hug my kids all that high, that harder. Okay. So, uh, our, our somewhat deeper heartfelt beginnings, let's go to something, uh, a little more, uh, continuity related for, uh, our second topic here. We had talked recently on the show about how Ryder Wyndham in one of the biographies gets into how Anakin winds up being a Force ghost. The idea of essentially Obi-Wan's spirit and, and Yoda's spirit kind of reaching out to him and such to make him able to be a Force ghost when he didn't get the same kind of training through Qui-Gon 
that uh, Obi-Wan got, uh, in theory, after the events of Revenge of the Sith. And one of our regular listeners, who is also someone who's big in the fan audio community, has been big in the fan audio community, now doing a podcast uh, with his wife relating more to Doctor Who, is Andrew Gilbertson. And he had written in on that particular subject. And Andrew said, and this is in response to me, it's interesting that Ryder Wyndham saved the day in that he gave us that explanation. He says, Ryder Wyndham saves the day? Isn't it more like Ryder Wyndham puts a band-aid on a dismemberment? I mean, sure. Now we know why Anakin was a force ghost when it was supposedly a special talent. So what about the Dark Lady? Halligad Ventor? The three bazillion other Jedi that were shown as Force Ghosts back before anybody had any concept that wasn't just the normal thing when Jedi died, which, frankly, it should have been. It's just like the married Jedi and multicolored lightsaber blades. Artifacts from a pre-2002 expanded universe where you can clearly see the writers going, well, of course it's this way. That's the only thing that makes sense. George Lucas wouldn't be stupid enough to write it any other way, right? Jedi become ghosts. They marry. They have more than two lightsaber colors. That's just the only thing that makes sense, so of course it's part of my story. Yeah, back in a more sane EU. As a related question, any thoughts on why Force Ghost Yoda never shows up in any EU material ever? Admittedly, even Obi-Wan's appearances are sparse, mostly in Zahn books, but even Anakin shows up at Bakura. Why not super powerful Yoda? Oh, man, that is a question I have been asking and, and shouting to the heavens for the longest time. Uh, we just uh, got done recording Crucible, and that, too, would have been a perfect book for Yoda to show up at the end. Done well, you have. Rest now, you should. I mean, I, I've always wondered that. Why hasn't Yoda popped in at some point and said something? Grant, a lot of people, they say, well, it's not needed, but I need it, darn it, I need it. Uh, that whole question of that, you know, not just Yoda, but the the when the the Jedi disappear and and how they disappear and how some have been trained this effect and some haven't. Uh, I believe Deshara uh, from New Jedi Order, she also disappeared in Anakin Solo's arms, kind of thing. Uh, never had the training. But again, getting back to my issue with the uh, the Wills, when did Qui Gon Jinn learn from the Wills? I mean, and, and why would he sit on that technique? Did he did he the Dark Lady and and Haldog? Uh, Ventor, did they all go out together and learn this thing, and then they died, and then Qui-Gon ended up dying before they ever got back to the Order and told him? Uh, it seems a little weird, considering we saw him show up at the Order there to bring in Anakin. Well, why didn't he mention it then? Oh, wait, I got a chosen one here. It's more important. But that's one of those aspects. I would love to see a story or or a, a role-playing game or an essential guide, something go in and flesh that out a little bit more. Maybe Jason Fry or something, you know? Pablo. Yeah, I am kind of surprised that Yoda doesn't show up as a Force Ghost. I was, I'm was, i wondering if that's something that Lucas put the kibosh on at some point. Like, maybe Lucas said, okay, he showed up at the end of Jedi. We're not going to have him show up again. Because in theory, it would make sense that he would have been able to learn the technique from Qui-Gon just like Obi-Wan had. In fact, it seemed as though he was in contact with Qui-Gon at least, a, what, three years before yeah. Obi-Wan was, even if their first contact was the, uh, Obi-Wan, or, or excuse me, even if the first contact was the Anakin, no, thing from episode two, and yet he doesn't show up. I wonder if maybe it's just because he's so long lived, um, that he didn't feel a need to stick around that way, or maybe he, uh, had less of the ability to stick around because of how long he had lived, um, kind of like how Obi-Wan in the Thrawn trilogy talks about it being sort of one of the last times that Luke would be able to see him, but, yeah, it does seem odd that 
Yoda isn't there. Although, you must say, though, we have learned at least a little bit about the, the special abilities that Yoda has because I think that if you watch The Phantom Menace in the original theatrical version or on VHS or on DVD, and now you watch the Blu-rays, you'll notice the change that Yoda went through in The Phantom Menace from the old version to the new one. I'm pretty sure he's a Time Lord. Maybe he's the 12th Doctor. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Now, speaking of, of Lucas putting a kibosh, because I, I really think that that is probably why, Lucas has sold Star Wars. Should we continue to honor that that whole no Yoda's back species, none of this other stuff? I mean, the EU has grown beyond Lucas's original vision for Yoda. There are multiple, I think we're up to about four, five, possibly even six of Yoda's species showing up in the EU throughout the years. Granted, Yoda is the last one that we see farthest in the timeline after yoda we don't know of any more of his species but that gets back to the whole lucas kiboshes i mean lucas sold the rights so does that mean we still honor lucas's word or do we just say you know what it's not his anymore we do what we want i want to see somebody do a real last eu novel prior to episode seven or if we're told that episode seven is going to reboot part of the eu or all the eu i want to see somebody come in and utter the, the line from Commander Sinclair from Babylon 5, you know, if I'm going out, I'm taking you bastards with me. And just give us a story that just like bull in a china shop just rampages through everything. And, like all of a sudden you find out that Mortis um, was actually all along hidden inside the dimension of Waru, the anti-force being. And Mortis now is being run by members of Yoda species who turn out not to be the Wills, but altered clones of the Wills that were created by the Sith in the process of trying to create a Sithari, etc., etc. And the Mandalorians <laughs> from Legacy are the ones guarding the outside of it or something. Just come in and go, blah, blah, or bliss out, and goodbye um, to the unresolved issues I'd, there. I'd like to see the Rakatan species take the Qua and mutate them into Yoda's species. I mean, because they look kind of similar there, or... or or maybe even the E.T. species, like do some little genetic manipulation or something there where you're able to uh, bring in the E.T. species, the Yoda species, and the quad, or create one species out of it or something. Yeah, that seems dark side enough for me. Or it could turn out that uh, Yoda's species, if they're not the Wills, maybe they're the Celestials or something. Um, all right, uh, speaking of unresolved issues, in this case one that has recently been resolved, I got an, an email from uh, Kenneth Brinkley who had asked about the... Clone Wars chronological order, and this is at the point where it had finally become known, so I sent out that uh, message to him and got a response back with a little bit more here, asking some questions that we can address here on the show. So uh, it, this is more addressed to me just because of me being the one to have answered the email. Uh, Kenneth says, Mr. B, thanks for taking the time to email me back with a chronological order for the Clone Wars. I really enjoy listening to your podcast as we are both roughly the same age and truly grew up with Star Wars as a big part of our childhood. I emailed you back for two reasons. Number one, do you play the X-Wing Minis game? The X-Wing Miniatures game from Fantasy Flight Games. If not, I highly recommend it. I've played mini games since 1998, beginning with Warhammer and so many others now, I can't easily recall all of them. But I digress. The Fantasy Flight Games X-Wing game is amazing and easy enough that my 8-year-old can play and complex enough for adults to really get into it from a tactical standpoint. As well as great playability, the models are gorgeous and come pre-painted. The third wave of minis are set to release sometime this year. Even if you don't play, it's worth buying a Falcon and Slave 1 model alone. Trust me, it's a great game. Number two, 
I'm also a high school teacher and allow my kiddos to call me Mr. B as well. I teach English and this year used the original trilogy to teach the epic form of literature. Some kids didn't even know what Star Wars was, is, and what shall be. I sponsor the gaming club too. Only minis or card games allowed, no console or PC games. Thanks again for a great podcast. Signed, Mr. B2. That's T-O-O. You know, I tell you, I, that, that is one thing that uh, is unfortunate with teaching history. It's not as easy to use Star Wars references in there, but I get them in, you know, occasionally from time to time. Uh, uh, the namesake stuff like Ahsoka coming from the, uh, the, the Mauryan Empire leader back in India during classical times and whatnot. Um, I've actually been asked to sponsor either a gaming club or an anime club or something like that at school, but I just haven't had time to do it. And with anime, I just don't have the interest. Um, to do it and be able to be conversant in it and such, but it tends to come up quite a bit, I guess, because of the sci-fi angle here. But as for the X-Wing Miniatures game, I really enjoy the mechanics of the X-Wing Miniatures game. I've been doing videos. If you check out the same place you can find from the Star Wars library, that video series I've been doing, which is uh, youtube.com slash, I believe it's user slash chronoradio, C-H-R-O-N-O-R-A-D-I-O, or just search for me under Nathan Butler or the user chronoradio. Um, you'll find that uh, I've been doing videos of the Fantasy Flight game stuff as it comes out. The DICE app, the RPG, including the ones that, stuff that just came out recently, um, the card game, and the X-Wing game, doing unboxings, and, you know, here's what's up with each of the packages, here's what's in it, that sort of thing. Um, I've actually only had a chance to play the X-Wing game, game a few times with someone other than just me playing myself, like those guys that play chess and then just turn the board around and play the other side, uh, and that's been playing with my fiancé. My fiance. She, she was my fiance at the time. My wife now. Um, we actually played more of the trading card game for Fantasy Flight games because that's something she gets into more. She felt like the X-wing game dragged on a little bit, but that was back when all that was out was Wave One. Um, I've, at this point, I've got one of each thing. So I got the dice app. I got the dice pack. I've, I've pre-ordered the Starfield stuff. It hasn't shown up yet. I've pre-ordered the next round of ships, which at this point I guess is what a Tie bomber, a B-wing. Uh, the Moldy Crow, and a uh, Lambda-class shuttle. And I've got one of each of the others, which means I've got the, the core set with the two TIE Fighters and the X-Wing, which you really need to be able to play the game. The core set has all the, the rulers and such. Uh, and then Wave 1 with the the, uh, the TIE Fighter, the X-Wing, the Y-Wing, and the TIE Interceptor. Or, excuse me, the TIE Advanced. And then Wave 2 with the TIE Interceptor, the A-Wing, the Millennium Falcon, and the Slave 1. I have yet to play a game so far with the Millennium Falcon and Slave 1. But my hope is that by the time they get those Starfield tiles out, I'll have a chance to set up my entire dining room table as a giant battle area and can finally record like a demo game to put into the YouTube feed like I did with the uh, trading card game from Fantasy Flight Games. But yeah, so far I've been very impressed by all of their materials. And the X-Wing stuff definitely is uh, is a good game. The miniatures themselves are pretty cool to collect, although not the sturdiest things in the world. See, the price has kept me away so far, but I was at Barnes & Noble the other day, and I was pointing out to my wife again, you know, these ships, and they had the Millennium Falcon one finally. And I, I mean, granted, 36 bucks a steep, but that thing is glorious. I mean, yeah, you're talking about how though it's worth buying alone for that. I mean, yes, I want it. I want it desperately. I need to have it. Uh, and I was pointing out the fact, you know, look at the look at the, the size of the TIE fighter next to Millennium Falcon. It's all to scale. Yay! Like, I, I don't know. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong there. It is all to scale, right? Every single ship. It's not like your micro machines. No, they're all to scale and they are based on the original models as and their scales. So it's the first time that, for instance, a, t a TIE fighter has been correctly scaled as a miniature. 
which was pretty cool. Uh, now, if you are trying to play the game, uh, and I have no affiliation with these as any more than I have with CheapGraphicNovels.com, which is a great place to get uh, your Omnibuy and stuff like that for Star Wars. But another that I have no connection with but really have liked their customer service and their discounts and such is MiniatureMarket.com. I always pre-order my X-Wing stuff through them. I pre-order the, the cards through them. I pre-order the, uh, the RPG stuff through them, all the Fantasy Flight game stuff straight through them. And generally, and it's a little tough with them because sometimes things get out of stock because the X-Wing game gets bought up pretty quick. And with X-Wing, you almost have to buy the expansion packs online. I have never seen a store actually carrying the expansion packs, only the, the starter game. But the starter game that runs for uh, $39.95, they tend to have for about $26. Uh, most of the smaller Starfighter expansions, which is the Starfighter plus all the cards and stuff you need to be able to play with it, um, they retail for about $15. They've usually gotten them for about $10. Uh, Slave One and the Millennium Falcon both run $30 because they're larger. They've got them for $20. So, I mean, you can, you can take the, the, the cost issue with this and especially if you're buying several at once, you can combine the shipping on them into one order. You actually can get a significant discount through some of these online retailers, whether we're talking Miniature Market, Cool Stuff, Inc. So it's a it's a cool game, and it's one that's kind of fun to get into. And if you're looking for a miniature just to have because it's a really well-done miniature, I would have to say that that Millennium Falcon one is really, really nice. Um, it, it's one of the better Millennium Falcon miniature type versions that I've seen ever. They did a very good job on it. But yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely gonna have to end up getting that that Millennium Falcon one. I haven't seen the Slave One model yet, but I'm assuming it's going to be smaller than the Falcon. Uh, are the prices on those two about the similar or yeah. are they gonna be different? Yeah, they're they're the same. Basically what you got is there's the small packs that just come in like the little plastic cases where you get the one Starfighter and the stuff with it. And you get ones that actually need boxes themselves because they're the bigger ones. And that one is is where you get the thirty dollar price tag. Although interestingly, we're told that's not the biggest they're gonna get. Huh? There's supposed to be another size beyond that, so we should be seeing you know something even cooler in the future. Carillion, assuming Carillion Corvettes, maybe. I mean, I couldn't imagine them going Star Destroyer big. I mean, I would love to see it. You'd run out of space. Yeah, exactly. That'd be the size of your table. <laughs> oh, jeez. Although. Maybe they could do it in the aspect of creating a second version of the game that was all capital ships, uh, where this one would be the snub fighters and freighters. This is true. Uh, it's just cool. It's cool to see them using it's, and I find it interesting that they're while they share art between the different game systems, they're not trying to do like Wizards of the Coast and link them all to the same system of gaming so that it winds up hand, uh, hampering the gameplay development of any of them. Um, all right, another email that came to us was from Greg Evans. Greg asked some questions here and, and gives us some suggestions of ideas for shows, some we can address here, some we'd have to address separately. Um, he says, Hello, Nathan and Mark. You might find this interesting. I found out about Star Wars Report and thus you're beyond the films due to my Tolkien interest. I checked out Middle Earth Network, was looking for another Tolkien podcast and saw Star Wars Report and loved it. The happy, positive excitement got me hooked, especially from Mark. Anyway, I wanted more Star Wars info as it seemed that Riley and Bethany, great positive hosts, seemed to focus more on the movies and Clone Wars cartoon and not much else. So Beyond the Films was a really nice addition. I've come to really appreciate Nathan's intelligence. Now I only hope one day he sees how great Boba Fett is. Anyway, I wanted to get into reading more novels. I really don't care too much about what era I go into. So a few ideas I had for you guys were... Number one, 
Maybe you both name one to three good books and maybe one to three good comics from each era. See Nathan's EU primer for what I mean by each era. Uh, part A under that. Personally, I'm more interested in the books, but if the comic is really good, I might be willing to check it out. And B, then if the book or comic might not be good for a newbie of the era, make another suggestion specifically for the newbie. Number two. An interesting question also might be, in the spirit of a good, friendly debate, what comics, books, cartoons, movies, games, etc. would you say that Mark and Nathan disagree the most on? And three, what are the top five Star Wars characters that each of you are most into, slash interested in, slash passionate about, etc., and why? I understand you recently did a fan Q&A session, so it might be a number of months before you get to this, which it was. That's totally fine. I'm currently reading the Hunger Games trilogy, and will probably read the Han Solo trilogy back from 1979 when done with that. So I'm not in a rush. Thanks, and keep up the great work. Very, very good questions. I mean, that that's uh, whew, that could even be an episode in and of itself. <laughs> well, I think we sort of dealt with the whole, you know, the the really good stuff versus really bad stuff back when we did our uh, at what would have been an unreleased at this point. Um, our you know, top EU stories and our lowest EU stories. We haven't really gotten into the what is best for a newbie thing, so that might be good to to, uh, to deal with here briefly. And then as far as characters, that probably, yeah, that's probably something that, that deserves a, a show in and of itself at some point. Uh, I would say for if you're trying to just get into the reading of the Star Wars continuity and you don't care about which era, I would say the Thrawn trilogy is a necessary read as far as background goes. I would say the X-Wing books are a very good read, and some of it is a necessity to understand other stuff later on. I would say probably the Hand of Thrawn duology would be a good one to read. It almost feels like it's each time that they think of themselves as starting a new era or changing of the guard or passing the torch, very much like Crucible is said to do, um, that it seems like it's the most important to read something. But I would probably... Uh, it's I would probably grab... The Thrawn trilogy, uh, or grab maybe the X-wing books, and a lot of those back in the Bantam days. In the back, before there got to be too many books, there were little descriptions of each novel series and when it takes place, usually in relation to Return of the Jedi, not in relation to A New Hope. And I think reading those would give you a sense of what might strike your fancy as far as as interest goes. But a lot of the Bantam era stuff you could read, and as long as you've read uh, the Thrawn trilogy, there's not a whole lot that it's going to throw you off. Uh, and then, of course, later when Del Rey gets the license, the vast majority of books are part of a series, and you need to read the series or perhaps the series before it to read those. I wouldn't necessarily jump in with New Jedi Order or Legacy of the Force or Fate of the Jedi or Crucible or Dark Nest, uh, a lot of that kind of stuff. I will say that the Clone Wars stuff is pretty easy to jump into, but it also may no longer exist, uh, depending on your point of view, given everything that happened with the, the cartoon show. Yeah, I mean, I, I, my big thing when it comes to answering these questions is what do you enjoy? Uh, that I wouldn't send somebody into Karen Travis's books if they hated Mandalorians. <laughs> Just one of those things. Or I wouldn't send you back to uh, read Lost Tribe of the Sith if you absolutely can't stand Sith and, and dark side things. Um, one of the things, you know, we've mentioned it before, The Essential Reader's Companion. Great book. I, I dare say it is essential to any book reader out there. If you are just getting into Star Wars, that is a great thing to grab to give you insight as to what's going on without spoiling it too much. Uh, for me, when I first started getting into the books, it was The Essential Chronology. And then they later came out with the uh, new Essential Chronology. Those were the same kind of concept. You know, it gave you a 
a minor plot. You can get some of the gist of what was going on, not enough to get it too spoiled. And then you could go to those books. And that was kind of where I navigated when I first got into the EU. Uh, you know, there were some books out there, not as many as there are now, but there were enough that it made it daunting back then, not as daunting as it is for newer people. But for me, I, I found that that was the easiest way for me to navigate. I know a lot of people, they like to, they want to do a chronology way. I want to start at this book and I want to go from that book to the next book, to the next book, to the next book, to the next book. And that works, but it only works for so long because the way they like to publish books is they'll go back and put one in like maybe Mara Jade book in the middle of all that stuff that you just read. Do you go back and reread it or do you continue on your March? Uh, so I, I don't know for me, I, I would say, you know, Era-wise, uh, if you're going to go back to the Old Republic, I would say the Darth Bane books are fun read. Uh, John Jackson Miller's Lost Tribe is an interesting book. Uh, it can give you some insight into later events. Uh, Comic-wise, KOTOR, great comic series there. There's also the Tales of the Jedi. Uh, then you moving forward in the timeline, uh, like Nathan said, Heir to the Empire is a great, great read. Um, but I guess I'm kind of skipping some stuff there. I, I would say, you know, definitely hit up revenge of the uh, sith that's a great book to read just if you haven't read it sticking with that era there i go into the dark lord hit up the karen travis stuff because it's a fun read too um comic wise in that era i i i loved it it was the republic line that was a lot of good stories were told in there uh from there you know there's some good comics in rebellion uh and and yeah, dark times not so much uh empire was it was a good fun ride uh let's see there's uh yeah, X-Wing books, like you said, read Air to the Empire, the X-Wing books. From that, I would then go into the uh, Jedi Academy trilogy and then go right into iJedi, kind of get that whole Koran fix. Then from there, I, w I would go into New Jedi Order because that was just one of my favorite book series. But, uh, you know, you may want to read some of the uh, Junior Jedi Knights or Young Jedi Knight books to kind of get more on Anakin and Jason and Jaina, uh, their, their backstory, because there really isn't much beyond their babies in the books uh, there. So that's really where you're going to get their backstories in those kid books. But again, I, I always say the new Jedi Order was my favorite series. It doesn't quite end on a strong note, but after the new Jedi order, I wouldn't get into any of those series unless I have, I've been reading up, like I said, the X wings, the Jedi search, that kind of stuff, get some background. You'll get more out of it that way. I think you would enjoy it. I, I think that a lot of people that don't enjoy those books, I don't think that they came into it with more of that background. And I think when it comes to what we disagree the most on, uh, I'm not sure that we can necessarily name books. We'd have to almost like compare notes on a whole bunch of books just to see what we disagree on. But I will say probably the character we disagree the most on is Kukruk because I find Kukruk <laughs> completely and utterly uninteresting and pointless. Yeah, yeah, and I would say I would say Zahn we're we're kind of opposite. Like the parts of Zahn that you like more are the parts that I dislike more, and vice versa. Like I, I like the the catering and the Mary Sues, and and that's definitely something you don't don't like as much. And yeah, I, I don't know what it is about Kukruk, but. I, I have, I, I don't know. I, I really dig that character. I, I, I can't wait to see him finally, maybe if he'll ever show up in the books. I mean, he should be, but he hasn't yet. But I would love to see that. When you need a Jedi, you must whiff it. Woo, whip it good. <laughs> uh, also, from Greg Evans, as we're wrapping up uh, his previous email, he also says, uh, Hey, Nathan and Mark, love the show. Question, probably more for Nathan, but if Mark has an answer, I'd like to hear it too. What would you say is your biggest continuity frustration that has still yet to be resolved or just won't be resolved? Thanks and keep up the great work. You know, given recent events, I would almost say the whole executor in Star Wars Volume 2 thing, but that's minor. Uh, and there are continuity frustrations of things that won't get resolved in terms of it seems like they have story loose ends 
that are open. I don't know if we will ever see them find Mortis, for instance, after the whole Quest Night thing went out, because we have no idea what's going to happen after Crucible, whether or not there's any more publishing there for that era. Uh, and I would like to know how it is that Vader, you know, escapes from the Rebels after the Force Unleashed 2 and whatnot. But the biggest one, I think, is probably the most obvious one, which is the Clone Wars. Given that Leland Chi has come out and said that at the moment there are currently no plans whatsoever in the works to try to reconcile the old Clone Wars stuff and the Clone Wars stuff that came out in relation to the cartoon series and the stuff surrounding it. That is a huge frustration for me, and the fact that it's not going to be resolved, or at least not anytime soon, really bothers me. I think it's just because of the workload that they're dealing with with other stuff, that there's not a time to go back and do it. And generally, you don't put out a retcon unless the retcon is put out as part of a new publication. And they don't have any new books coming up that necessarily seem like they would need that kind of stuff to be worked out ahead of time. But it'd be nice to someday get a list saying, here's how it's all supposed to fit together. See, this huge continuity nuclear bomb that was dropped actually was more like a brief hiccup. But for now, it looks like that era is going to remain basically all jumbled up. It's why my Star Wars Timeline Gold, I was hoping that by the time Clone Wars, the cartoon series, was over... I'd be able to reintegrate the Clone Wars stuff back into the main document instead of having a separate document with two separate listings, the original and the Clone Wars cartoon-based stuff, but that does not seem like that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, never the twain shall meet, at least not in the near future. Yeah, the Clone Wars is definitely the biggest hiccup. I mean, when you've got the Gendy series, you've got the other series, you've got the comics, you've got the other books that was on another model. I mean... When you've got Alpha out there, and you've got Rex, and you've got Ahsoka, and you've got Asajj Ventress in Betrayal, and then also in the Clone Wars show, these are why canon levels equal universes to me. You know, I, a story doesn't just disappear. Uh, you know, it gets bumped into another canon level, whatever that means. To me, that means a different universe. I mean, the events happen, but they didn't happen the way we thought they were. So for me, that that's the hugest one. Uh, you can't get any more frustrated than having this overall continuity, this one story that, you know, the maker just continues to find ways to, well, how can I uh, throw a little hitch in their little one story now? Oh, here comes Mortis, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, definitely for me, the Clone Wars is the big jump out because all the little things come out of it. I mean, you've got uh, Twi uh, the Twilight Homeworld, uh, Ryloth that, that was, you know, Tidelock that was then suddenly spinning again in, in the cartoon show. And, and yeah, I mean, there is a Force.net uh, forum member out there that kind of came up with a NASA convoluted way of, of how it could and couldn't be. But I, I don't know. I mean, when you have to go to such levels to make it work still, it doesn't work. And and that, that for me is always my biggest continuity frustration. And, and the status quo of, you know, well, we're just going to wait till the next project comes along and see the shit storm that it creates. And then we're going to try to patty it back together. And, and we'll use some of that shit to make some bricks and make a nice big wall. But I, I don't know. To me, it just still looks like a shit house. And uh, it's just very frustrating, I guess. The, the other thing, too, and I forgot to mention this when we were talking Crucible, is the serial number on droids. This is a personal pet peeve of mine, okay? In Crucible, there is a moment where Luke even tells R2 he has to display his serial number to uh, some Narguns, and he does, and he puts out a string. But we have no idea what the string of, of numbers looks like. It's numbers and letters. I mean, we know it's R2-D2, and there's an R2, and then a dash, and then a D2. But 
now after that is it another dash and then four alphanumerics or is it still are they all in dashes of two are there 15 numbers in the whole string are there 180 numbers in the string none of that has ever been mentioned and yeah it is a minor thing but i've got a droid here that i want to be as accurate as possible and i just can't get beyond the r2d2 and he's whistler all right our next one actually goes to something fairly timely here this is from uh, sandro george who asks or says Hi guys, I love the podcast. I found it a few months ago and became an instant fan. I was listening to the current feedback podcast and being completely entertained. You guys need to do more of them. Anyway, there was a letter from David Noche talking about e-readers slash tablets, and I wanted to put my two cents in. I own two Kindles, Fire HD and Paperwhite models. I bought the Kindles so I could continue my Star Wars novel collection without taking up any more shelf space. But I find myself pondering on the same thing David did. Should I just continue on with my collection digitally and have both physical and digital books? Or should I repurchase all my physical books and go all digital? This has been the one thing that bothers the crap out of me. Oh well, decisions, decisions. Thanks, and may the Force be with you. Now I say this is very timely because it was recently announced that Barnes & Noble is going to be discontinuing the tablets that they've got going with the Nook. And this raised a whole lot of hubbub because it puts the fate of the regular Nooks in question. Barnes & Noble says they're going to continue to support it for now, but there's there's always the, the, the possibility that that support may eventually end as well, as they're getting clobbered by Kindle and Amazon in the ebook market. And that scares the crap out of me, because as soon as they announce that, and this has only been you know a few weeks ago as of the time that this is going to be airing, um, I'm downloading everything. I got back on my Nook, downloaded 100 plus novels and other books that I've got on there because I want to make sure I had them in that thing's memory. So if they just give up on ebooks entirely at some point, which would be a death knell, I think, for Barnes & Noble, um, if they were to do that, I don't want to wind up losing my material. They're saying that when it comes to some of their content, they're going to be working on trying to put it out for other uh, third-party platforms, like maybe uh, stuff through the Nook app for the iPad and such, but the, the Nook having its own tablets are gone. Um, this is the fear that we brought up in that episode. If you buy a digital collection, what's to say that when it's either the reader or whatever it is that you've got is out of date, or it is discontinued in terms of support by the company, what happens to your collection then? Yeah, it bugs me to a degree that I've got four book towers that I just had to move because we got new carpet, uh, and two rather large book shelves that are basically like two book towers combined together. Um, you can see the pictures on my Flickr. The, that's a lot of books to have to shift around all the time. I'm still running out of space, but I'd still rather have it in physical form so that I know that I've got it. And then the, the ebook type stuff could be a backup. Or if it's the only way something's released, fine. I'll get it as an ebook, but I'm still going to make sure that it's always sitting on my device just in case it gets discontinued and I can't download it again. Um, I, that, that fear finally became very real for people who have nooks just a little while ago. So for me, I would say if you are going to go digital, I would, I would guess half and half. I mean, there's, a, there's a, a coolness to uniformity, but some books aren't available that way anyway. Uh, and you run the risk that if something does happen to Barnes & Noble or to Amazon or to whomever, uh, and they stop supporting things for your device or for devices in general, then you might wind up putting yourself in a position where part of your, your stuff that you paid for or repaid for is gone. And that would, you know, it, it's, it's hard enough being a collector and having the money to do it when you're mm-hmm. spending it on stuff that you know you're going to keep. 
Um, I can't imagine trying to budget for something that, you know, one day could just disappear on you. See, and I don't trust technology. I have had nothing but issues when it comes to technology. Technology lets me down. As great a concept of having that digital library is, I don't trust it to be there. And and I, I think I would be more devastated knowing I put as much money as I have into my physical collection into a digital collection than have it all disappear. And because, like, like you said, I didn't have it downloaded onto my app or my Kindle at that moment. It's all gone. Uh, right now, I really I haven't extended my my digital library. I think the last digital book I got was Choices of One, and I didn't even read it on my Kindle. I didn't even read it at all. I bought it on in paperback, and it's I just that book never got around to it. But I don't know. I, I've I'm in the same boat as you. I have to have that physical copy. Have to. I need to know that if the power goes out, that I can light a candle and I can still read my Star Wars. You know, my phone battery, I'm on Facebook, you know, like like we say, Facebook's one of the best places to interact with this. Why? Because I'm burning up my phone's battery life because I'm always on there, always on there. So if I was to use my phone in the same regard, the battery would be dead before I'd even get halfway through a book. So there's that limitation too. There's a lot of limitations to technology. So I have yet to jump into that bandwagon. And the other side of it, like you said, do I buy all the books again in a digital format? Well, you know, yeah, they were doing some really great packages and stuff, but they don't have the EU Fanatic package that I'm looking for. The one that has every single book up to this point for like, say, 150 bucks or something, you know, something that it's a, it's a little up there that not everybody's going to jump on. But it's also if you're going to buy all those books, it's a heck of a deal. You know, they don't have that yet. So I'm not ready to go there. Uh, when we were talking in our uh, Star Wars Volume 2 episode they were doing the free digital copies for the first three of that. And they almost got me. I mean, I, I downloaded each one of those, but then they stopped. And I was like, man, if they'd have continued to the end of that arc, I may have made the switch in the comic format only in the aspect of my comic storage is a lot harder to do than it is my books. You know, I, I fill them into these big boxes. Those big boxes then have to go on shelves. Every time I need to pull one out, it's, it's I got to move two or three boxes to find the right box. I've got to do all this different storage stuff. So for my comics, it definitely seems like something that I would be more interested in. But again, getting back to that, I have had nothing but issues when it comes to technology, whether it be the Marvel ones. Uh, it took me forever to find out how to access them. I didn't realize I had to go to Comixology to use the Marvel app. I was like, what? Why do I have to go to another site to use your app? But I don't know. There's that learning curve there that makes it hesitant for me to jump in because I have to go to someone else to have them explain to me how the technology works. And I don't like that. I don't want to jump into something where I don't quite understand it yet. <laughs> Now, when we are talking about digital issues, there is also a difference, though, if, if you're a collector versus if you just want to read something. Like, in my case, if I just want to read stuff like Walking Dead, I don't collect it, but I read it, I'll get it on the, the digital app, the Comixology app. Uh, I will say, though, one of the cooler things that I've seen, again, if you're not someone who's trying to collect stuff so much as you're just trying to read it, um, there's a thing out there called Marvel Unlimited, or Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. It was 60 bucks when I signed up for it. It's now $69 per year, so the price has gone up by almost 10 bucks. Or you can do it monthly and get billed 10 bucks a month, but that's 120 bucks a year, which is kind of ridiculous when you can get it for more like 70. But basically, Marvel has a ridiculous number of their stories, of their comics, from like 70 years worth of material all up on this digital app that you can access through any web browser, access to an iPhone, an iPad, an Android device, and you pay one flat rate and just read all that you want. Not everything is on there yet. Some series aren't complete at this point, but 
there's tons and tons of stuff there and you get a ridiculous amount of value if you're going to actually use it. But that runs the risk of uh, what a lot of subscription services do, which is, you know, I subscribe to it, I use it for a little bit, I forget about it, and I'm not getting the value out of it simply because I'm not going back to it like I should be. But that, if they were to do that with Star Wars or with Dark Horse, that'd be really cool, and that'd be a great way for people to catch up on old comics. But so far, I'm only seeing Marvel doing that, at least as far as I know. Yeah, you know, that that's something, too, that I was thinking about the other day was that, you know, Star Wars, they like to focus on the big three. And when you think about Marvel, like, you know, Marvel tends to, you know, they got their big comic characters like Spider-Man and then they've got uh, Iron Man and stuff like that. But they also got characters that are just the run of the mill nobodies that they give a lot of shots to like Avengers Arena right now. It's it's full of a bunch of characters, second rate characters like that. I think the, the only one that I recognized off of it was X-23 uh, Wolverine's clone. But I was thinking about the fact that, that Marvel is doing that. They're pushing a lot of these side characters and stuff and the EU especially but mainly Star Wars as a brand, they don't really do that that often. I mean, granted, the EU does. Like, you'll get a book about Coran Horn or this other character you've never heard of before. But Star Wars really hasn't become a brand like Marvel has where, you know, like, we got this nobody character. We're going to do a whole book series on this nobody character and make you like them. Star Wars is like that. They're like, well, you got to be liking this character, and then, then we'll put our money into it. I cannot wait for the day when Star Wars does like Marvel in that aspect and becomes more of a brand where they're just like, we, we've got an idea for a character and we want you to be excited about it. So here's what we're going to uh, make. We're going to make this book and we're going to make this comic series and this game and it's all going to tie together so you'll like this character. I don't know. I, I, I'm looking forward to that day. Which brings us to our next email here from Jazz Rathor. Rathore. And, and I wanted to say really fast, uh, a quick congratulations. Jazz was actually the winner of the uh, Fill the Force fan fiction mini competition with his story, uh, Maximum Firepower, Maximum Efficiency. Congratulations on that, by the way. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Jazz says this. says, hey there, Mark and Nathan. As a major fan of the EU, I'm actually getting to the stage where I'm getting slightly overwhelmed. Never thought it would come to this, but there are so many books and comics that sometimes I feel it's hard to keep up. Maybe this is partly due to the fact that when a new book is released, I reread the books leading up to it. I did just buy The Essential Reader, The Essential Reader's Companion, hoping that would cover my need to reread entire books, but good as it was, it just makes me want to read more. In fact, I'm at times so into my EU reading that I don't watch the things that started it all off, the movies themselves. Do you ever feel this way? Absolutely. All the time. In fact... Right now, my son is the reason why I watch the film still, because he is in that other stage. You know, he's not really reading the book, so he is all about, I want to watch, I want to see, I like the visual. And, you know, for me, I think my aspect of Overwhelmed is that there's just so many events and there's so many different eras that I, I tend to mix up when events and when plots happen. Uh, you know, like I'll finish a book and then I'm like, wait, what exactly all happened in that book? Like as soon as I start reading the next book, it's like details from the one start to drop off. And I, and I, I tongue in cheek blame Lucas for all that unlearn what you have learned jargon throughout the years. But there is that sense that, OK, if I'm going to read a KOTOR book and then I jump to legacy, I kind of need to, to step away from my KOTOR thoughts and get more in a legacy thought. Or like if I was to go into Into the Void, I shouldn't be expecting things from legacy to be showing up. And you have to kind of keep that all in mind as well. Um, so yeah, getting overwhelmed, 100% feel that. I mean, there are times where I'm just like, whoa, I would love to go back and reread the books leading up to it as you're doing. I just don't have the time. I get I get an arc, and 
you know, well, like with Crucible, I mean, I had, uh, I was in the middle of The Last Jedi and I already had an arc for Crucible and Kenobi both sitting there. And I'm like only halfway through the one book. I'm like, imagine if I'd have gone back when I got The Last Jedi and read the original books leading up to it, which I did during the New Jedi Order. When I was reading the New Jedi Order books, and I, and I attribute to that's why I love that series the most, I think up until Destiny's Way, I think I stopped doing it at that point. Uh, but up until then, I reread that series every time a new book came out. I would start at the first one bloop, 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 all the way. Uh, once I got to that one, it was like, okay, I, I really just couldn't do it in that amount of time. But I, I do think that by rereading books, you're going to get more out of it. You're going to enjoy it more. So, I mean, there's that aspect of it. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> you know, the, the feeling overwhelmed, I think that really comes with being an EU fan. And as you say, you're a major fan. So you know what we're feeling when we feel overwhelmed. Because that is, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of Marvel comics, a lot of Dark Horse comics, a lot of the books, a lot of the different genres. And having that mental picture in your mind and getting it all to line up, that is overwhelming. I would say that I'm not sure that I feel overwhelmed on the reading aspect of it. The novels tend to come out far enough apart and the comics tend to come out far enough apart that that doesn't get me. I usually get these pretty much as soon as they come out or they're being shipped to me as soon as they come out. Read through it, done. It helps that now we're getting those uh, advanced reader copies from Del Rey, so we're able to actually read through stuff well before we need to talk about them necessarily for the show. But I will say what gets me is um, I get overwhelmed from the timeline perspective. When I'm working on my Star Wars timeline gold, I usually do most of that work during the summer. I do bits and pieces throughout the school year, but usually June and July, that is when I have a chance to get into it. And I'll have a stack of comics and a stack of novels just building and building that I haven't had a chance to summarize, that I've done notes for and haven't had a chance to actually go through and do anything with. Like, for instance, let me grab it here, give you a sense of the workload. Um, I have my ARC here, my un advanced uncorrected proofs, the advanced review copy of Kenobi sitting here. And not only have I read it and need to summarize that for the 2014 version of the timeline, because uh, I don't think my new one's going to be out late enough that it'd be okay to include this. I think it would, wouldn't be out yet. Um, and if you were to look, take a look at this, there's a good 20-plus post-it notes sticking out of the top of this thing. And each of those means that page has some continuity thing to go back to and add a separate little tiny event onto the timeline for. So, especially when it comes to novels, I get overwhelmed in terms of the workload of putting them on the timeline. Not the reading, but uh, taking them and doing something with them later. And... And that's and I'm fortunate because for me I picked up the EU in 1992 when Dark Force Rising was in hardback and Heir to the Empire just hit paperback. I can't imagine trying to get into the EU now and trying to read everything. It'd be amazingly overwhelming. But I don't do the rereading. I haven't reread a series when a new book in that series came out since the Thrawn trilogy. Um, I've just been keeping up, you know, as things went along. But for me, Having taken a chance to read something and then summarize it for the timeline, I've sort of gone through. It's like they say where um, one of the best ways to know that you understood something was to be able to teach it to somebody else because then you're explaining it in such a way that shows that you got it. It's kind of the same thing. When I summarize for the timeline to make sure that it's something that someone reading the timeline could understand, I think it's sort of going back in my mind and almost rereading the book as I'm skimming through it again. So I don't mm -hmm. have to necessarily reread it. But But yeah, I mean it's – it's just one of those things where, you know, it's 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 sort of it can get overwhelming just to me in different ways. As for watching the films, I will say that um, I've gotten more into wanting to rewatch the films again thanks to the Blu-rays that are gorgeous to watch. Uh, I, I, 
couldn't imagine how much of a difference it made over the DVDs just for me, uh, especially on Phantom Menace. But also, my work on From the Star Wars Library, that video series I've got on YouTube, got me into wanting to go back and collect more. And I've started to collect the home video releases, um, the original uh, video rental-only version, for instance, of A New Hope that I've now got on beta and on uh, VHS. I get the definitive Laserdisc collection coming in the mail sometime soon. I'm doing all kinds of crazy collecting in that regard with the idea that at some point I want to put out a From the Star Wars home video library series to go into things like the differences between the different versions of films in some specific oddball cases, or, hey, there's this box set and this box set, they look the same, but what's really different in the contents? Just the oddball stuff like that. Or how many times do they re-release From Star Wars to Jedi, the making of a saga with different cases and sometimes from different companies? Just weird stuff like that. That's caused me to want to go back and rewatch the films in each of their incarnations to really get a firmer grasp on all the differences again, having just stuck with the Blu-rays recently or the DVDs recently, um, before going back into it. But yeah, I definitely find that I watch the Star Wars films far less than I read comics or novels and such in it. Because with the films, a lot of us could almost recite the things. Um, it's just, it's just not something we have to watch. And for me, for me, the, the Star Wars film I've probably seen the least is my favorite, Revenge of the Sith. So, you know, I'm all kinds of, of, of backwards with the whole thing. Yeah. I've been following your, uh, your trek through all the versions of the films and I, I, I'm so eagerly looking forward to hearing all the insights you have from that because, all the different changes and all the chaos and stuff, as you mentioned, being new to the EU and how overwhelming it is. I mean, that that I think to me is the, is the tragedy of being a longtime EU fan. Okay, we and I and I'm including you in this, Jess. We've read these books, we've enjoyed a lot of these books, we've enjoyed the way they tie together, and yet a new EU fan comes in, and there are so many other books out there that you know you're told, well, go ahead and skip this book because this event happened, and now that half that book doesn't count anymore, or you know this happened, and so now that no longer fits, and. Now you've got these books that are out there. They exist. And as everyone says, well, they don't take these from you, except for it's these new readers that are getting told not to go and read these books because they no longer count. They're no longer part of the canon. And and that always has bothered me. That aspect of, well, the canon's always changing and this work is getting dropped and that work is getting dropped. And it's those new readers that are really getting the drop because us old readers, we've read the book. We know it's there. Yeah. It's been dropped. And we have to remind ourselves that now that event doesn't continue anymore, adding to our confusion. But for those overwhelmed fans just stepping in and they got this huge, you know, library of books, they can cut half those books out by going, well, that half the events in this one didn't happen, half the events in that one happened. So they never read those books. So those events to them never happened at all. And so now you got all these different conflicts in, in fandom because, well, they're like, well, that never happened. And you guys are just into that old stuff. And, and that has always been the frustrating side of me because then you have that other contingent of fans going, well, it's all one story. Bullshit. Bullshit. You show me how the Clone Wars all fits into one story and I'll believe you then. Until then, no. Multiple universes. Yeah, you mentioned the whole following the, the, the trek through the old video releases. I will say this was helped in a big way by, uh, I think it's called Roxio Easy. VHS to DVD 3. I finally bought one of those programs that comes with the little plugs where you've got the the yellow, red, and white plugs to plug into the back of the VCR and a USB on the other end you plug into the computer so you can digitize VHS. So when I'm talking about the possibility of doing a show about that, we're talking using clips. You know, even something as simple as, see, this was the 1990 box set. This was the 1992 box set. 
This is how their trailers in front of the film slightly differ. And here's an earlier version from 1987 of the same trailer. I mean, we're talking some, some detail here. Um, as for being overwhelmed by the EU, don't worry, folks. Maybe at some point in the future it'll be a moot point because once Episode 7 comes out, there may be a complete reboot or something or, or a, a new EU. And you'll be down to just one or two things to read to catch up on everything. Um, all right, moving along because I realize we are kind of uh, pushing our, our, our timing here. I think we're... This is going to be another one of our longer feedback episodes. We have one here from John Baldy, who he says, I'm not assuming here is pronounced as if you have no hair. So John Baldy says, good morning, gentlemen. Longtime listener, first time questioner. I've been listening since the first episode. I was actually just branching out into the EU when you began the show, and I began to look for new Star Wars podcasts. I was a listener to Venganza and knew Nathan from their Clone Wars podcast. That's Republic Forces Radio Network. I was looking for other podcasts with him. I have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in history, plus a bachelor's degree in political science, so continuity is important to me, and Continuity Corner was my favorite part of Republic Forces. I've considered myself very fortunate to have stumbled across Beyond the Films at the very time that you launched. I just finished listening to the Prelude to Rebellion episode. You raised the aspect of polygamy as an issue that Star Wars explored. I wondered if either of you have ever read any of the Honor Harrington novels. That sci-fi series features polygamy as a recurring plot point except among humans in a Mormon-like religion instead of among aliens. Thanks for many hours of entertainment and education in the EU, John Baldy. I don't know, personally, I haven't ever read any of them. Have you? No, I, I in fact, aside from Star Wars books, there's very few other series as I've read. I mean, I, I've got the Harry Potter books, but I haven't got into them. Uh, I've read some uh, Patricia Brig Biggs books. No, it is Briggs. Patricia Briggs books, uh, Dragon Blood, Dragon Bones, uh, Shadow, Shadow Strike, or no, Raven Shadow, Raven Strike, because the other two. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, uh, some Kim Harrison's uh, witch books and stuff like that. But there's so much EU, as we were just saying, with the overwhelming aspect that I really don't have time for other books. I mean, I've had people offer like some John Grisham books and stuff like that, but I'm just like, I this this is my bread and butter, the EU. And so I, I'm stepping away. Like I really have to have somebody selling this thing a hundred percent which is how i got into those other books i had a friend he's he got me into a lot of tv shows and stuff that i normally wouldn't have got into originally uh supernatural smallville uh firefly things like that um and he he's the one that introduced me to those books and you know there are other books that i've bought that i plan on reading i just have i've had no time i mean when, when I, there are star wars books that i haven't read i'm like i gotta read those before i can ever venture out and i just have not been able to catch up since 2012 yeah, my sci-fi reading tends to be kind of varied, but a lot of it is grounded in in Earth outside of of Star Wars. So stuff like the Dresden Files or uh, oh, the Joe Ledger stuff by Jonathan Mayberry, uh, things like Patient Zero and whatnot, stuff like that. Um, probably the closest thing to a Star Wars style saga that I read in sci-fi or that I've read in sci-fi is a saga of Seven Sons stuff done by Kevin J. Anderson, um, which is a really good series, very diverse in its cultures and whatnot. Though, in Star Wars television, or Star Wars television, sci-fi television, for me, it's you know, Babylon 5, Stargate, Farscape, you name it. Um, so, I, I don't know the series specifically being noted here, but I will say that, again, as, as much as it kind of caused people to go, what? at one point, that is something that Star Wars and other sci-fi does when done well. We are able to sort of hold a mirror up to nature, as Shakespeare would say, and uh, we were able to explore issues that in modern day, even in a society like the United States, 
still a lot of times causes people to kind of step and go, whoa, 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 wait a second. Sorry, you can't talk about this topic in polite conversation. Uh, but still, Star Wars, though, it's unusual. The, the polygamy thing with the, the Syrians and whatnot was unusual, I think, because it was something that was relatively rare, it seems, within Star Wars. So it shows up, and it shows up, and it's notable for the fact that it is the exception to the rule, as it is in real life. Um, I think very recently somebody had made the note of the fact that it was really just that Mandalorian couple that we got that was the first or one of the first openly gay couples in Star Wars. Um, I brought that up. <laughs> yeah, and, and, it's, and it's such an unusual thing because, I mean, in, it's such an issue now in the United States. We got the different uh, Supreme Court rulings recently on gay marriage and whatnot. And it is something that is dealt with in the modern day. And you would think that sci-fi, especially something like Star Wars or Trek or whatever, would grab that and use it in telling a story, explore that issue. And Star Wars, in a lot of ways, it's like a lot of times we've gotten away from that. And Star Wars, when it delves into deeper societal issues or deeper uh, – getting you to think about things more deeply than you had before because it's in the sci-fi context, Star Wars isn't doing that as much as other series do. Um, Star Wars has moved into the, this is Star Wars, we're going to tell a Star Wars story, it's all Star Wars all the time, and except for a few instances in recent memory, it's like they ignore the fact that there is a bigger societal context, a pulp culture context in which this is all being written, that I think someone like me, or like John, who have that history background, the poli-sci, uh, in my case, my bachelor's degree is in social studies education, but in Indiana, you have to pick certain areas. So it's U.S. history, economics, and political science for me. When I got to Georgia, they generalize that licensure, and I started teaching world history. Now I teach AP world history. I'm certified by the college board in that, and my master's is in the uh, integrating technology in the classroom. But I've taught debate. I've taught constitutional law. I may be teaching um, a media and current events class in the coming year, depending on how things work out with the scheduling. I love that kind of stuff. That's my bread and butter. That's why when I wrote Greater Good, I wanted to add in those levels of societal context, because to me, that's what sci-fi does when it's sci-fi at its best. And Star Wars is missing the boat many, many times. When, For instance, we were talking when uh, we were recording for Republic Forces Radio Network about the Clone Wars and about the Ewok stuff recently. There's a lot of times where you can grab some cool societal parallels and use that as a jumping off point for discussion out of those stories. But I don't think that necessarily in Star Wars a lot of times that the things that let us explore broader concepts in the real world are stuff they put in on purpose. I think a lot of times it's something that you read into it because it's in your mind as the reader, but yeah. not something they intended. Where is the Star Wars equivalent of Star Trek's episode of the two guys where one is white on the left and black on the right? And then the other guy that's vice versa and the racism angle there. Where is the in-your-face, let's explore an issue stuff? Outside of stuff like the Syrian polygamy, a lot of times it's just not there, and that is very unfortunate. Well, you know, they could always do a sequel to uh, Prelude to Rebellion where we find out that Kai's daughter has a grandson, and now he is, uh, you know, an adult, but he doesn't have the Force, and he's married, like, say, seven wives, and they're all Jedi, and it could be called Jedi Wives. That's true. Or you could do something that deals with all of it at the same time. You go back to Syria and you've got the polygamy thing being allowed because of the low birth rates. Okay, Syrians have polygamy because of low birth rates. Well, what if you have Syrians who are gay? Is polygamy still allowed? It's It won't help the birth rates. In that sense, is homosexual marriage allowed on Syria? 
Because Good question. That, wouldn't that be promoting a type of relationship that's not going to lead to procreation, which is, again, one of the arguments that gets made in, in the gay marriage debate in real life. I don't want to get into the whole, whole issue there <laughs> being somewhat of a um, conservative on some issues, liberal on others, libertarian on most. So to me, it's it makes for fascinating discussion, but I'd, I'd hate for things to explode. I can remember yeah. when things exploded in another um, Star Wars podcast where you had a very homophobic fo- uh, host going on tirades on his show. Um, but that's that's many years ago. Um, we have a couple still to go here, both relatively short. From Skyler, we have essentially a uh, request for an episode, which I think would be one that would be a good one to look at in the future. It says, uh, from Skyler, while listening to some of your podcasts, I thought of an episode theme. How parts of the Clone Wars series mess up continuity. You know, contradictory-wise. Like, how did Maul live after losing his legs and then some? Not by the dark side. You can't heal with it. Thank you for your consideration. Uh, actually, I would disagree, Skylar. If you've read Legacy, the Force, uh, not Legacy of the Force, but in the Legacy series, Cade Skywalker uses the Force and touches the dark side to heal. Uh, and and I, I believe that they've used that before, and that's precisely what Maul did. He uh, held on to life, in a sense, through his rage, would not let go. Uh, and, and that is a very dark aspect of things now healing in a general healing sense is a light side not a dark side as we saw with vader trying to heal himself but in this situation we're talking about death the character was going to die and the de- the character then used force to do something unnatural which is prevent his death uh and that is a very dark side trait which as i said we learn in legacy uh but yeah there are a lot of contradictory things though that come up out of the clone wars though <laughs> Yeah, I would hope that once we see that so-called bonus material, the other story arcs that we have that will officially end the Clone Wars cartoon series, whether that's on Blu-ray or specials on television or whatever, that'd be a good time to to revisit the Clone Wars and see the specific contradictions, both within itself, within them versus the films, and of course within previous continuity. I would say that's a definite show topic for us, but one that probably should wait until we see the last of what Clone Wars has to offer. Um, yeah, as that for, bonus material could seriously throw a wrench in things when it comes to programming. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Yeah, especially since they're talking about Sifo-Dyas uh, having having a mention in one of the in the arcs. But I would say that my biggest question is not how did Maul manage to live after losing his legs and then some. It's the since he lost his legs and then some, he's cut off at the waist. How did he manage to digest and excrete? I mean, surely he had to eat while he was down there unless the force is what was sustaining him the entire time. And if he ate, in theory, at some point it has to get to a point where the waste is taken out and he has to urinate or defecate. And he doesn't have the equipment to do either of them anymore. So how exactly is he doing that? Unless (laughs) there's a lot more to the intricacies of that weird spider mall body that his body put together and somewhere in there there's a catheter and other stuff that we don't really want to get into. Um, So... Our last email this time around uh, kind of brings us almost full circle back to the email that dealt with uh, the X-Wing Miniatures game a bit ago from Frank Tesh. Frank says, Hi guys, I have been in and out of the EU for some time now. My biggest question, even though we're getting Episode 7 and Wizards of the Coast drop the role-playing game, what is the best way to get that content for the RPG world, and what books would you guys suggest to get more character information and should I just skip the mess that is the New Jedi Order? Thanks, Frank Tesh. Well, let me say, if you are looking for old 
RPG material from West End Games. Um, it's a matter of really eBay to get that stuff. Although there are illicit sites that have scanned PDF versions of those that are out there if you're looking for them. Um, when it comes to Wizards of the Coast, same thing for the books. I would always recommend something like eBay and get a legitimate copy of it and whatnot. But you have things like the uh, archive.org, the so-called Internet Wayback Machine, where you can find some of the old Wizards of the Coast stuff up there, just not all of it. But if you're just talking general RPG, Fantasy Flight Games' new Edge of the Empire. That is a really well-done RPG. It doesn't have a lot of source material out for it yet. You basically have the core book, Game Master Kit, um, the role-playing dice pack, the dice app, the introductory game, and the free uh, Shadows of a Black Sun uh, RPG book that was given out on Free RPG Day, which was also my wedding day, June 15th. Um, and by the way, thank you very much to Scott Romansky for being able to find a copy of that and send it to me. Um, but that is a really good RPG system, and I can't wait to see it grow. They got the Beyond the Rim adventure coming out in the near future. Um, very cool in that it's not based on simple yes or no. Did you fail the check or not? You know, you have a skill level of this. Your enemy has a difficulty number of this. Roll the dice. I either beat them or not, as the case may be. These are narrative dice. You have ability dice, challenge dice, proficiency dice, difficulty dice, uh, boost and setback dice, and a force die that you will use. And you roll them, and the different symbols affect the way that the story develops. It's not just did you win or lose. It's did you win or lose, and... To what extent? Were there advantages that appeared? Disadvantages that appeared? Uh, threats, as they call them. Um, was there a huge um, uh, triumph that took place? You might have a situation where somebody might, uh, on a win of, say they blasted an enemy and they hit them, but something bad also happens, like the blaster then jams, or they fire and they miss, but they manage to hit the wall behind them and the bits flying off the wall wind up searing the enemy's neck and causes them to uh, have a setback die on their next shot because they're distracted by that. There's all kinds of interesting angles they can take with these very dynamic dice, these proprietary dice for that game. The downside, the only way to get the dice is to buy them separately, get the introductory adventure, which is actually a really good introduction to the game mechanics of the book. You really ought to check it out if you're new to RPGs. Um, or get the Dice app. They do not come packaged with the $60, use Miniature Market and get a much bigger discount, um, starter book for Edge of the Empire. But it's the most promising Star Wars RPG that I think that I have seen. I liked the Wizards of the Coast one to begin with. I really liked the West End Games one back in the day. Uh, but mechanic-wise, I don't think you can beat the way that FFG has set up Edge of the Empire at this point. Yeah, I bought the old role-playing games mainly for their background information. I mean, I, I was under the impression that uh, Aaron Alston, uh, Stackpole, Zahn were all role-playing gamers. I mean, because you grab these books and you look, and there's all that information, and you're like, where are these guys coming up with this stuff? And it was all there. Um, you know, I, And I do have the new Jedi Order one that, that you were mentioning, the mess it is. Uh, it only goes up to star by star. They never did kind of finish up and do another one. Well, no, he's not, he's not saying the mess of the book. He's referring to the, whether you should skip the New Jedi Order in general as being a mess. And I would say, I don't know, it's, it, it, it can be a rough slog if you don't like that type of story. But I think it's a pretty good series to read. It's just not as good, in my opinion, as Legacy of the Force. But I think he's talking about yeah. the New Jedi Order as a whole being skippable. Well, in that case, it depends on which characters you're looking to get information from. Uh, Anakin and Jason Solo, you're definitely going to want to get that info from them. Uh, but, but it's interesting, though, that... that 
with Wizards shutting down, it was five years or five plus years before we got this new one that came out. Uh, and like you said, the core book it is a 448-page hardcover. Uh, Edge of the Empire core rulebook is the first in a series of three standalones, cross-compatible Star Wars tabletop gaming systems from hobby game publisher Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, the next ones will be The Age of Rebellion and The Force of Destiny. They are slated in 2014 and 2015, respectfully. I, I You know, I'm excited about this because, like I said, I was collecting those just from the aspect of I was writing my own fan fiction and I wanted some of the stuff that was kind of like behind the scenes, you know, like what's inside the refresher and and things like that, you know. And they kind of gave you that. They give you like the the harness belt and the different weapons you could put on it. And, you know, you could get the uh, starships of the galaxy and find out about the ships and all. I don't know. There was a lot of insightful things in them. So in the aspect of just like, you know, getting them. I, I got the original ones and I never played the game, but I got almost all of them, everyone I could find. Um, now, this new one's coming out and it definitely sounds like something that would be easier to understand because even though I had those other books, I thought about playing them off and on, but they just seem so complicated. Like, I really come to the impression that I need to know somebody that knows how to play Dungeons and Dragons to be able to play this game because if you've never played a role playing game, it is convoluted as hell. Yeah, that's why I definitely recommend if you're going to try to pick up. The new RPG, uh, and you're in your new two RPGs, which it doesn't sound like he is. I'm just saying in general, that introductory game is really, really good. Um, it has sidebars, and basically it tells you, as the game master, what's going on. But it also has sidebars that you read to progress the story, if you're not quite comfortable with that yet. Sidebars explaining the rules that you need at that moment as you go so they can build and sidebars about broader mechanics and the idea is that you as the game master are reading these different things to your group and teaching them how to play as you go even as you as the game master are learning as you go and you'll have a very good general understanding by the time you're done with that introductory adventure then you can step back and grab you know the the core rulebook or even the little more expanded rulebook in the introductory game and read through it and figure out how to do things in a much broader scale I mean it's it's the best way I've ever seen to teach someone to play an RPG because I remember uh, trying to get the sense of how to use each of the West End games and which of the Coast ones, not having played them a lot, but wanting to understand the mechanics of what I was looking at. And until you have a chance to really go through it a few times, it is very convoluted and hard to recall. I mean, it's just like anything else. I mean, playing the, the trading card games is tough until you've played it a few times and you're used to it. Um, yeah. But when it comes to you know being able to understand it even without having played much yet and really kind of getting a quick, solid foundation, the Edge of the Empire introductory game or beginner game, I think is what it's called, um, does a particularly good job. I'm eager at this point. Uh, my Game Master kit, Edge of the Empire main rulebook, because I had the beta rulebook, and uh, uh, the dice are still on their way to me from Miniature Market through the mail, so I'm like twiddling my thumbs waiting for those to finally show up because the beta was good and this new one looks uh, even better. Now, were these dice used for multiple games or is it just for no. this system? It's just for this uh, just for this system and just for this game. Um, fan- that is the one big complaint that people have with Fantasy Flight is that all their dice are proprietary dice. You don't use dice in the card game, so that's not an issue. But if you're playing um, this game... You need those specific dice. You need challenge, setback, etc., etc. Although, there is a conversion chart that lets you use ones with the right number of sides. Just, you know, like, one equals this, two equals this. And there is a sticker sheet you can print out off their website, and there's a sticker sheet that came with the beta book that you could use. Um, With X-Wing, 
there are two dice, uh, attack and defense, and yeah, you're going to have to have those or use a conversion. So I would recommend, if you're going to be playing a lot physically, get a dice pack. They're a decent price for quite a few of these proprietary dice. Or get the introductory, ga introductory game and you'll get the dice, and with X-Wing get the core starter set that you need anyway, and you'll get some dice. But the dice app is only about five bucks, four or five bucks, and I mean, you can roll as many dice as you need to fill the screen using the dice app. It's just whether or not you like that physical sensation of rolling dice or if it's fine to do it all digitally on an iPad, iPod, Android device, whatever. Ah, yeah, because I remember, you know, you had the beta and I wasn't sure if this was exactly the same game. Finally, wow, that man, they really had that beta out for a while, huh? <laughs> yeah, the beta game was out for a while and they did a lot of fine tuning and there's still a couple of things that they fine tuned out of the beta that didn't wind up in the core rulebook. Um, but for the most part, pretty good. I would say that there's no need to pick up the beta anymore if you're out there looking on eBay and such, unless you're someone who must have every possible uh, pre-created adventure, because the one in the beta rulebook, uh, Crates of Crates, that's crates as in boxes of crates as in crate dragon eggs and such, um, you're not going to find that in the new core rulebook. And the same thing goes for Shadows of a Black Sun. Um, right now, you're going to have to find it physically probably by going on eBay, because you're not going to find that so far on their website. I would point out, though, also, they are good at putting up extra stuff on the website, not quite as much stuff as Wizards of the Coast did back in the day, but they've got uh, pre-generated characters on the website that you can download character sheets for. They've got an adventure called The Long Arm of the Hut that you can download. So there are supplements being put up at this point, but I think what's happened is they don't have the rights to produce digital books of, like, the core rulebook and such. I think the digital gaming stuff all is residing somewhere else. So the only stuff they can put up is stuff that supplements to stuff that's already in print. I don't think they can put up like an actual version of the print game. Well, okay, so with Scourge, that was a book that was based off of the old Wizards of the Coast role-playing games. Could, could we, in theory, be looking at opportunities here for something similar then, maybe down the road? Potentially, but... I don't know. I doubt it. I mean, Scour I mean, of all the Star Wars RPG scenarios that are out there, Scourge is really the only one that was taken and turned into an actual novel. I really don't see that happening anytime in the near future, especially since the idea of an RPG that's very dynamic, it lets you make the decisions of what happens, not necessarily some writer setting in stone what has taken place. Uh, it it's Think of it the same way as, you know, pinning down things about Revan in the Revan novel when yeah. a lot of it was up to the player back you know, in the games. I'm not sure that they would necessarily want to do that. But it's a, it's a it's a pretty solid product. And I will say, again, don't pay full price for these things. It's ridiculous to pay full price for them unless you're just trying to support your local game shop. Just like X-Wing, just like the card game, you can get all this Edge of the Empire RPG stuff for Star Wars on places like Miniature Market or Cool Stuff Inc. for a significantly discounted price. And it only adds maybe a day or two to how long it takes if you pre-order it because they have to get it before they can send it to you. Uh, it's well worth the extra couple of days to save like 10, 20 bucks a pop. Oh, you heard it here, folks. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you guys once again for hanging out with us as we ponder on sharing in the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website that's found at www.starwarsreport.com 
Episodes are also available on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes both on Twitter and on our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films, or you just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now lastly, before we go, we want to mention you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash StarWarsReport, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. With more than 100,000 titles, you can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without the risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page or just adding to that uh, digital library there, Audible just might be right for you. And, of course, if you want to see any of the stuff that my wife and I are selling out there from our old collections, you find our Amazon store at Amazon.com slash shops slash Lil Joe Collectibles. That's L-I-L-J-O Collectibles, all is one word. And if you want to hook up on Facebook and talk about more chronology-based things, then, of course, my Star Wars Timeline Gold has its own Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash Gold. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that your Nook Star Wars library will suddenly vanish. Ooh, or that Episode 7 is going to just destroy the EU as we know it. www.starwarsreport But enough about you But enough about you About me Enough about What is it? I want to talk about me Want to talk about I And all that Whatever I don't know I, I, the, I'm at the point where about the only c- country music I know Is the stuff from when my, I listened to it with my mom years ago And <laughs> what's on commercials So Yeah, yeah. Exactly and what's up with Whistler mouthing off a second ago? I don't know. I set him down and he just got bitchy with me. I'm like, whoa, buddy, come on. We either have bloopers for the end or this is going to be a long episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you're speaking, I can't hear you. That's good to know because I'm halfway through. <laughs> God. Woo, whip it good. <laughs>